our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Taylor, and welcome to Dark Folklore, a podcast that looks into the folklore, places and people in our history that prove that we have constantly been creating folklore to match the world we live in. Today we travel to Scotland, an ancient land steeped in mystery and folklore, and also definitely know more of that accent. Specifically, we are heading to Edinburgh, widely known as one of the most haunted cities in the world, to visit a churchyard that is almost as famous as the capital itself and home to one of the most active and dangerous poltergeist hauntings in history, the haunting of the Black Mausoleum. Today, we visit Greyfriars Kirkyard. Greyfriars Kirkyard, which means churchyard to all you non-Scots, is the graveyard surrounding Greyfriars Kirk, or church, in Edinburgh. It is located at the southern edge of the old town, adjacent to George Heriot's school. Burials have been taking place since the late 16th century. The kirkyard and its monuments are protected as a Category A listed building. Greyfriars takes the name from the Franciscan friary on the site, the friars of which wear grey habits. The friary was dissolved in 1560. The churchyard was founded in August of 1562 after royal sanction was granted to replace the churchyard at St Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh. The kirkyard was involved in the history of the Covenanters, who were a 17th century Presbyterian religious and political movement in Scotland. The covenanting movement began with the signing of the National Covenant in Greyfriars Kirk on 28th of February 1638. Following the defeat of the militant Covenanters at the Battle of Bothwell Bridge in 1679, some 1,200 of them were imprisoned in a field to the south of the churchyard. When, in the 18th century, part of this field was amalgamated into the churchyard as vaulted tombs, the area became known as the Covenanters' Prison. These guys play a part in the Black Mausoleum story, so we'll be hearing more about them later. Aside from the mausoleum itself, there are a couple of other notable resting places within the kirkyard. The most modern attraction is the grave of a certain Thomas Riddell, who died in 1806. It has been said by author J.K. Rowling that this unassuming plot was the inspiration for the infamous Lord Voldemort from her Harry Potter series, and many Potterheads flock to the kirkyard every day to visit and grab a selfie. However, other headstones are said to have played into the names for other characters. In the kirkyard, there is a Moody, Alistair Moody, Scrimger, Rufus Scrimger, Crookshanks, as in Hermione's pet, there's Potters, and a McGonagall, who is actually William McGonagall, widely thought to be Scotland's worst poet. 
In addition, the entire kirkyard is rumoured to have been the inspiration behind the resting place of Harry's parents, the eerie and beautiful graveyard in Godric's Hollow. Another famous landmark is the statue of Greyfriars Bobby, arguably Scotland's most famous and faithful four-legged friend. His story goes like this. In 1850, a gardener called John Gray, together with his wife Jess and son John, arrived in Edinburgh. Unable to find work as a gardener, he avoided the workhouse by joining the Edinburgh Police Force as a night watchman. To keep him company through the long winter nights, John took on a partner, a diminutive Sky Terrier, his watchdog, called Bobby. Together, John and Bobby became a familiar sight, trudging through the old cobbled streets of Edinburgh. Through thick and thin, winter and summer, they were faithful friends. The years on the streets appear to have taken their toll on John, as he was treated by the police surgeon for tuberculosis. John eventually died of the disease on the 15th of February, 1858, and he was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard. Bobby soon touched the hearts of the local residents when he refused to leave his master's grave, even in the worst of the weather conditions, which can get pretty bad in Scotland. The gardener and keeper of Greyfriars tried on many occasions to evict Bobby from the kirkyard. In the end, he gave up and provided a shelter for Bobby by placing sacking beneath two table stones at the end of John Gray's grave. Bobby's fame spread throughout Edinburgh. It is reported that almost on a daily basis, the crowds would gather at the entrance of the kirkyard waiting for the one o'clock gun that would signal the appearance of Bobby leaving the grave for his midday meal. Bobby would follow William Dow, a local joiner and cabinet maker, to the same coffee house that he frequented with his now dead master, where he was given a meal. In 1867, a new law was passed that required all dogs to be licensed in the city or they would be destroyed. Sir William Chambers, who was the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, decided to pay Bobby's license and presented him with a collar with a brass inscription, Greyfriars Bobby, from the Lord Provost 1867 licensed. Today this collar can be seen at the Museum of Edinburgh. The kindly folk of Edinburgh took good care of Bobby, but he still remained loyal to his master. For 14 years, the dead man's faithful dog kept constant watch and guard over the grave until his own death in 1872. The Baroness Angelia Georgina Burdett Coutts, president of the Ladies' Committee of the RSPCA, was so deeply moved by the story of Bobby that she asked the city council for permission to erect a granite fountain with the statue of Bobby placed on top. William Brodie sculpted the statue from life and it was unveiled without ceremony in November 1873, opposite Greyfriars Kirkyard, and it is with that that Scotland's capital city will always remember its most famous and faithful dog. Bobby's headstone reads, Greyfriars Bobby died 14th January 1872, aged 16 years. Let his loyalty and devotion be a lesson to us all. Now, I don't know about you, but heartwarming tales of a beloved pooch and a dark wizard don't exactly send a chill down my spine. So let's move on to the most infamous of the Kirkyard's eternal residents, Sir George Bloody Mackenzie and his Black Mausoleum. When a man's soul is certainly in hell, 
His body will scarce lie quiet in a tomb, however costly. Some time or other, the door must open, and the reprobate come forth in the abhorred garments of the grave. These were the words of Robert Louis Stevenson, yes, of Treasure Island fame, talking about George Mackenzie, a Dundee-born politician who, under the orders of King Charles II, persecuted and condemned to death many of the imprisoned Covenanters. Remember them? It was due to his role in the mistreatment, torture and execution of these prisoners that he gained the name Bloody Mackenzie. Mackenzie died in 1691 and somewhat tactlessly was interred in his elegant mausoleum in Greyfriars Kirkyard, within spitting distance of the Covenanters' prison. It was thought that after Mackenzie died, it was a local game for children to knock on the doors of his tomb, yelling, Bloody Mackenzie, come out if you dare, before running away, lest the dark spirit of the politician decide to come after them. One such foolhardy person was a homeless man looking for shelter one stormy night in 1999. He took the dare and got more than he bargained for. Breaking into the mausoleum, he found an underground chamber containing the coffin of Bloody Mackenzie. Perhaps thinking it contained valuables, he tried to break into it, but in the darkness he stumbled and fell into an open pit filled with the bones of plague victims. The terrified man burst screaming from the mausoleum, just as a groundsman walking his dog approached it. The combined terror of the two is thought by some to have amplified the dark energies held within the tomb and give rise to what has become known as the Mackenzie Poltergeist. Since then, the phenomena around the mausoleum and the Covenanters' prison has escalated. Visitors have reported being pushed and scratched and feeling nauseous to the point of passing out. The story took a right turn in the year 2000, when the haunting was thought to be the cause of a death. Before we carry on with the modern haunting of the mausoleum, I want to take a slight detour and visit the house of Major Weir. For most of his time on Earth, Thomas Weir lived as an affluent and well-respected community member. He was devoted to his homeland and was a high-ranking member of the army, even serving in Ulster during the Irish Rebellion of 1641. Weir also professed his belief in the Presbyterian Church and would hold prayer sessions at his house, which often attracted large crowds, all eager to see the master public speaker at work. In the later years of his life, however, Weir began to behave strangely, and it came as a great shock to the entire city of Edinburgh, when after falling ill in 1670, he began to confess to a secret life, one of sin and evil. The many horrific acts Weir confessed to were bestiality, incest and witchcraft. His sister also admitted to these crimes and claimed that her brother had once travelled in a phantom coach driven by a demonic driver, such was his relationship with Satan. She also stated that her brother derived his satanic powers from the cane he carried with him everywhere he went. Those who encountered Weir during his lifetime would later claim that the cane would dance in front of him as he walked down the street, though if that were true, nobody would have been surprised when he confessed to being a follower of the Lord of Darkness. But they were surprised, so surprised in fact that the authorities initially refused to believe the man, 
However, his continued confessions to a life of sin proved too much to ignore, and Thomas Weir was sentenced to death after a short trial. After his execution, Weir's house lay empty for many years, as nobody wanted to live in the former home of such an evil individual. Regarded by many as the most haunted house in Edinburgh during the 1700s, an elderly couple purchased it at some point towards the end of the 18th century, but were driven out after just one night. According to the couple, they had encountered a series of demonic apparitions which made them rethink their investment. For many years, it was believed that Weir's house was demolished to get rid of the stigma surrounding the area. Still, recent evidence suggests it was just incorporated into another building, which is now the Quaker Meeting House. This would explain why many of the paranormal activities associated initially with Weir's home now occur at the Meeting House. Among various spooky happenings, the staff at the Meeting House have reported seeing Thomas Weir moving through the building, walking through walls, searching for his former home. After the homeless man had his terrifying encounter at the Black Mausoleum, visitors and staff at the Kirkyard began to notice strange phenomena in the vicinity of the tomb, which now exuded an oppressive atmosphere. Jan Andrew Henderson gained permission to set up ghost tours in the Kirkyard and documented most of the sightings and scars caused by Mackenzie. The period between the first recorded sightings in 1999 and the present saw hundreds of documented attacks in the Black Mausoleum and Covenanters prison. Of these attacks, an astonishing 140 have caused the witness to collapse. Henderson collected over 100 pages of eyewitness accounts. Over the years, there have been numerous reports of hot spots, cold spots, and cuts, bruises, and burns on witnesses' bodies, often under their clothing. Photographs have been taken of these marks, as well as many pictures of an unidentified shape in the tomb. There have been sightings of a white figure, unexplained smells, and auditory anomalies, including knocking sounds under the ground and inside the tomb itself. Dead animals are often found unmarked in front of the Black Mausoleum. People have complained that an unseen apparition has pulled their hair, grabbed their legs and arms, and hit them. One or two have even claimed to be possessed. The area has been exercised twice, both times unsuccessfully. One of these exorcisms sadly ended in tragedy. In November 1999, Colin Grant, a minister of a spiritualist church and owner of the clairvoyant shop in St. Mary's Street, Edinburgh, stood in the Greyfriars Kirkyard and performed an exorcism. He stood in front of the local press with a candle, a cross to ward off evil spirits, and a Bible in his right hand. He claimed he had finally cast out the spirits that had been trapped in the graveyard for centuries. As the ritual grew to a close, a dark shape was witnessed gliding across a window in the Edinburgh church, even though it was locked and no one was inside. Edinburgh evening news photographer Susan Burrell managed to capture the shape in a photograph. The flashes were not pointing at the building, so it's difficult to see how it could all be shadow. I'm usually sceptical about these things, but I can't explain this picture at all, explained Terry McGurty, 
deputy picture editor of the Edinburgh News. Collins' visit to Greyfriars was prompted by a visit to the Covenanters' prison. Mr Grant had visited to investigate the claims by Henderson that 49 people taking part in his ghost walks of the prison over the previous eight months had claimed to have had paranormal experiences. Many of the participants reported feeling that they were being watched or touched by something, and many came away with cuts and scratches on their faces. One eyewitness, Angela Hamilton, told reporters at the time, It felt as though there were a hand over my mouth. I couldn't see anything. Then I started to feel faint, and the next thing I knew, I was away sitting on the ground. Everyone was asking if I was all right, but I was really confused. The next morning, I woke up with a bruise on my left cheek and my neck. I couldn't believe it, as I was not aware of hurting myself when I fainted. I started feeling it must have been something to do with a ghost. The exorcism that Grant performed seemed ineffective, and it was two months later further reports were made. On the 26th of January, not long after he expressed fears that his work would kill him, Colin Grant died from a heart attack while speaking to the spirit world during a seance at his clairvoyant shop. Was the dark figure in the photograph the Mackenzie poltergeist or merely a portent of Grant's own death? Poltergeist activity has also been reported in four different houses around the graveyard and the area is plagued by fires. In October 2003, a fire swept through Henderson's home and the tour company offices, both of which overlooked the graveyard. It destroyed years' worth of letters, photographs, records and statements concerning the Mackenzie poltergeist, as well as all of his possessions. None of the surrounding properties were damaged and an official cause for the fire was never established. Fortunately, he had saved most of the sightings and eyewitness accounts on a computer in another building. To this day, reports of the Mackenzie poltergeist continue to plague the Kirkyard, and recently, a man was arrested and charged after breaking into the normally locked tomb and photographing the corpse of Bloody Mackenzie. Will this lead to an increase in the activity? So, does the dark spirit of Bloody Mackenzie, a man that caused so much death and pain in his lifetime, still haunt the Black Mausoleum? Or is there another explanation for the hundreds of reported injuries that take place within the vicinity of the Kirkyard? Unfortunately, we do not have an answer. The only thing I know is that Edinburgh and Greyfriars Kirkyard are a focal point of dark folklore. The Dark Folklore Podcast was written, researched and performed by Matt Taylor, with music from Incomtech. For more content like this, make sure to check out Brimstone below on YouTube. And to contact the show, please email darkfolklorepod at gmail.com. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 